if you would stand or remain standing as we hear the, the, Lord of, the word of the Lord. Chris Miller, thank you. <laughs> We're going to hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. That is, she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. So since this is a really important subject for Redeemer Church, and especially as a new church, I'm going to take a few minutes to recap uh, where Josh brought us last week, for those that might have missed it or not had a chance to tune in, just so you can hear where we are. It's so important in this kind of thing that we have the same understanding of terminology and definition and words. So I'm going to take just a few minutes to do that. But I want you to see what the main idea for today is. And the main idea is this. How do we become hospitable people? How do we become the kind of people that the Scripture here is talking about? And that's going to be our focus today. So if you join me in prayer. God in heaven, you demonstrated incredible hospitality by opening yourself, by sending your son, by allowing him to face a hostile world. 
God in heaven, by your grace and by your mercy, we can receive that hospitality, that grace, that mercy, and at the same time be called to share that with those around us. So God, may we be reminded this day of your great gift to us and the need for us to accept that and then to give it away. We pray that through Christ. Amen. So with any topic like this, it is critical that we're able to identify and, and be on the same page with, with our terminology. So when we talk about hospitality, biblical hospitality, we are not talking about how we think of hospitality in our culture today. We think of hospitality as setting a nice table and, and having a, a nice party, but that is only a very small part of what is defined as, as biblical hospitality. Um, I, I love this from uh, what Josh quoted last week from Jim T Tim Chester when he said, it is difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship in the first century. And then Chester went on to say, Jesus was killed because of how he ate. <laughs> you pause to think about that? Jesus was killed because of who he chose to have meals with and, and how he upset the apple cart, so to speak. Another author and theologian says it this way, in the first century Mediterranean world, hospitality was a public duty towards strangers where the honor of the community was at stake and reciprocity was more likely to be communal rather than individual. Further, whereas contemporary Western hospitality has been secularized so that the common synonym is entertainment, hospitality in antiquity was a sacred duty. It was a sacred duty. Hospitality in the first century uh, was more than hosting a, a party or a dinner banquet. Um, though I need you to understand, hosting is critically important for setting an environment. For those of you that have had the opportunity to be in our home, to, to share dinner with us in our home, or to walk in Anne's garden, you know that she sets a beautiful table and that she has a, an amazingly beautiful garden that invites people to come and perhaps have the opportunity to share hospitality around a table or while sitting in a garden. But just because you create the environment doesn't necessarily mean that biblical hospitality will take place. The, the word hospitality is, is just at last, the word hospitality occurs twice as a noun and three times as an adjective. The adjective be hospitable. Five times in the New Testament. Three of those times, it is in the Greek what we call the command form. So it's, it's a command to be hospitable or to practice hospitality. It's an important concept, and even though it's used less than a half a dozen times, the theme of hospitality runs all through the New Testament and all through the early church. So this word, hospitality, it's an interesting word. It's made up of two Greek words, philos and xenia. Philo, xenia. 
philos, love, xenia, stranger. You know xenia from xenophobia, fear of strangers. Philoxenia, the love of strangers. That's what the word literally means. Hospitality, the word in the, in the Greek from the New Testament for hospitality means to love the stranger. And I think it's really important to remember that even though it doesn't occur often, the theme certainly does. The word is more about relationships than it is the environment. The environment's important, but it's more about the relationships that take place in that environment. Last week in uh, Luke 5, Josh showed us that it, it really wasn't Levi or Matthew, probably the same person, it wasn't Levi who was showing the hospitality. It was Jesus, because sometime before that, Jesus had seen. The Scripture says he saw Levi, and it was, it's, a, it's a word more than a glance. It, it, it's a word that means to see deeply, to see intently, and, and Jesus saw Levi. And so what was Levi's response? To show hospitality back. And, and we have different, different renditions of that story, but it's just amazing that it was Jesus that showed that. Hospitality is seeing people through a new lens. It's being willing to see people not for what they can do for me or how they fit in my world, but how do I walk with them in this world. Jesus was willing to face this incredible ridicule by the religious leaders because he chose to see strangers. He chose to see them, and he chose to engage with them. And so he, he had this amazing ability to upset the apple cart. Uh, he's showing hospitality. He's seeing them. And we're going to see that like Luke 5, in our story today, Jesus does the same thing. He sees someone. But before we jump into this, this wonderful passage in Luke 7, I, I, I want to give you just a brief outline of where we are in Jesus' ministry. Where are we at the point that this story takes place? By this time, early in Jesus' ministry, he's been rejected by his hometown of Nazareth, why? Because he said strangers and outsiders are responding to the prophets, not you. He has been accused by his own family of being out of his mind. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law. He has chosen the worst of the worst in a group of fishermen, a demon-possessed woman, a tax collector, and other reprobates. He has physically touched a leper, which is way outside of the box of acceptability in that day. He has touched a leper. He has gotten sideways with the Pharisees over who can forgive sin. He has healed a Roman soldier's servant and then had the audacity to tell the people that this Roman officer has more faith than almost everybody in Israel. This Roman soldier. And then he has raised a widow's only son from the dead. 
And as we saw last week, he has chosen to eat meals, to have deep abiding fellowship with sinners and tax collectors. I want you to see this. If you haven't noticed it before, tax collectors have their very own category in Scripture. That's why the Scripture says sinners and tax collectors. Yeah, there's the sinners, but there's even worse group, and they're known as tax collectors. They have their own category of horribleness. And yet Jesus chose to sit with sinners and tax collectors. So already, less than probably a year into ministry, Jesus can't be pegged. He can't be labeled as liberal or conservative because he's offended both sides of the aisle and he's loved both sides of the aisle. So the key point here that I want, I want us to be able to focus on and see from our story is this. We will only practice biblical hospitality with love, grace, and mercy in a manner that's similar to Jesus only when we have accepted that hospitality for us. When we have been able to face our own depth of need and we have been able to say, I need that grace and mercy. I need that. And when we accept that from Jesus, we then can begin to be used by him, to be in this transformation. I love that, that word. Josh used it last week. This transformational, not informational relationship with Jesus, but a transformational relationship with Jesus. We can be in this transformational relationship with Jesus, and that's what enables us to begin to put this into practice. So let's see that in our story. Let's see that here in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. If, if you read just a couple verses before, you'd find out that Jesus is already identified as a glutton and a drunkard and someone who associates with these tax collectors and sinners. So in verse 36, we begin, let me, let me, just a little side note. You have to be just a little bit careful when you read these little subheadings in your Bibles that start a passage. Because, for example, in the NIV, it starts this section with Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. In the ESV, it says a sinful woman forgiven. The problem is that can have a tendency to cause you to think the woman is the main character when she's not. Just as in the story last week, Levi, Matthew wasn't the center of the story, Jesus was. And in our story today, Jesus is the center of this. Now, I want to say this, I'm not taking anything away from this woman, anything away from her extravagant love, her extravagant action. Just so you know, this is probably one of three anointings by women in the Scripture. Now, some scholars want to say there were only two, and they'll say that this one parallels the third one. So we have three anointings. We have this one early in Jesus' ministry. Then we have a, a day or two before he enters Jerusalem, and he's anointed by Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister. And then on the Wednesday before the crucifixion, he's anointed a third time. 
And again, some scholars want to say this is that third time, and Luke, for some reason, has put it early. I don't think that's true. I think the differences are too strong, but we don't obviously have time to go in to that element. Suffice it to say, I'm comfortable with the idea that there were three anointings by three different women, two for his burial, two to get him ready for his burial, but this one had nothing to do with his burial. This one is simply an act of extravagant love and thanksgiving for an encounter this woman must have had with Jesus. So let's look. When one of the Pharisees, and we later find out that he is named Simon, so when Simon invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to his house and reclined at table with him. So before he's, he's invited to dinner with the tax collectors and sinners, he goes, but he's not afraid to be with the religious people. He's invited by Simon, and I choose to take this passage at face value. I don't believe this was a trap. We're told many times in Scripture where people were trying to set Jesus up. I don't think this is one of those cases. I think Simon honestly wanted to share hospitality with Jesus. He wanted to share a meal with this man who, who, who was a, an itinerant rabbi. The problem was Simon was about to utterly fail in that attempt. Jesus was about to blow his idea of hospitality completely out of the water. And so we read, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we don't know. We don't know what she did to earn the label a sinner. Perhaps she was a prostitute. Perhaps she was a woman full of demons. Perhaps she was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Or perhaps she was simply a person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. We don't know. We're not told because that's not the important part of the story. It's not important what she did to get that label. So we're, we're not told. We simply don't know. All we know is that this, this woman had to be courageous and she had to be generous. How do we know that? As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So many norms are broken in this story right here. So many. The fact that she's even in the house, in this room, where they're reclining around the table and not serving tables. The very fact that she is touching a rabbi is, is just unbelievable. And then, God's forbid, she lets her hair down and she touches him with her hair and wipes his feet uh, just completely out of the box, completely breaking every norm. This woman had to have courage and then the generosity to pour this alabaster of expensive perfume on his feet, on his hair, 
on him, anointing him. Wow. So how did our friend Simon respond? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Here is the start of the grumbling that Josh mentioned last week. Jesus is doing something or not doing something that is contrary to the norms of the day. And, and it's contrary to the way it should or shouldn't be done. And if he only saw this woman as she is, he would not put up with this. If he only saw her as she is. And evidently, Simon said it loud enough to himself that Jesus heard it. It's not one of those thought things because the scripture tells us when Jesus knew their thoughts. Here, Simon must have said it loud enough for Jesus to hear. And then I've got this great picture. I love to use my imagination a little bit. Here are two men kind of looking at each other, and Simon is looking at Jesus, and he's saying, if you only saw this woman as I see her. And I can see Jesus looking at Simon going, if you only saw this woman as I see her. As I see her, just as he saw Levi, and just as he sees you, and just as he sees me. And so he does something, does something unique. He offers Simon a chance to see this woman. He offers Simon this chance to see her. And he says it this way, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. In today's dollars, just to give you an idea, it's probably about $50,000 and $5,000. Typically a little more than a month's wage. So it's a pretty good sum for both of them. And neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts. Now which of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus really centers in on the point he wants Simon to understand. He says, I love this, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. Simon's over here. He turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, one thing I want you to see here, this is something Anne reminded me of this week as I was working on this, that before hospitality can be offered, you have to be present. You, you, you have to be present in the situation in order to offer the kind of hospitality that the Bible talks about. You see, by Jesus focusing on Simon first, he was fully present to Simon. And then he turns and he looks at the woman and he's fully present to the woman. 
wanting Simon to see the woman. As Jesus saw her, his presence shifted. It shifted to her, and his focus was on her and her extravagant note. little side note here. If you, you will not really be able to enter into biblical hospitality if you are regularly screen-distracted, if, if you are regularly in chaos, it's going to be hard to be present to the people, the person that you're with. So just in these attempts, as best you can, put the screens away and be present in that moment. Now, I want you to understand something here because I think people misunderstand this passage. Jesus is not rebuking Simon for his hospitality. We sometimes get that mixed up because if he's rebuking Simon for his hospitality, the woman's actions lose some of its power. You see, as one commentator said, water for the feet, while not mandatory at all, it would have been a kind gesture on Simon to have a servant wash the feet of his guest. Simon was not being rude in neglecting this, but certainly he did not go out of his way to show the deep hospitality to Jesus. It was the same thing with the kiss. Though the kiss was a customary greeting, it was not a necessary action that had to take place. And certainly oil would have been a luxury. So Simon's not being rebuked for this. Jesus is saying, but this woman, look at what she did. She did all three. She has wet my feet with her tears. She has offered this great offering of thanksgiving and, 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 and love to me when you didn't. And this is what happens. I don't think the woman is doing this to redress a lack from Simon. That's not the point here. She's doing it out of an extravagant love and response. The key to us, and this is what I want you to focus on, are the next set of verses. This is the key for us this afternoon. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, technically, you could have two different interpretations for verse 47. Technically. Technically, you, you could begin to say in, in, in verse 47, is Jesus saying that because of what she has just done, washed my feet, anointed me, because of what she has just done, her sins are forgiven. Or the second interpretation, which is much more likely, is because of what she has done, she has shown that her sins have been forgiven. In other words, this woman's attitude of inexpressible thanksgiving and joy was evidence that she had experienced this forgiveness somewhere in some event 
with Jesus. And what's real interesting for me in the scriptures, we're, we're not told the when or the how. We're, we're not told about that event. So conjecture, trying to figure it out, is pretty meaningless. Enough to say that the second opinion, the second view here, that she is simply responding out of a previous encounter is much more accepted. Almost across the board, scholars accept this. It fits the context of Luke 7, but more importantly, it fits the gospel narrative. That we have this kind of response to this encounter with Jesus that just transforms us. And, and causes us to want to be extravagant. She accepted Jesus' hospitality of grace and of mercy, both prior to this story and in the story. Jesus looked at her and said, what you've done, Simon, do you see what she's done? What you've done is beautiful to me. Go in peace. You see, Simon was unable to show this kind of hospitality because he had yet to face his own desperate need for that kind of relationship, that kind of transforming relationship. And here's a key I want you to understand that this idea of being able to give only what we have received, that's, that's a gospel theme. We love, why? Because God first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven much. We give because God has first given to us. Do you see it? It's over and over through the gospel. And obviously, as a Christological statement, this story is one of the centerpieces. The, the, the people hear Jesus and, and, and they go, who, who is this who can forgive, says they can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus goes, you got it right. You're right. Only God can forgive sins. And I forgive sins. And then, not only that, but now I'm giving it to you to go do. I'm throwing this upside down in your world. Now you go and forgive sins. You see, it's only in accepting our own need for that extravagant hospitality that, that we will be able to extend in some extravagant ways that hospitality to others. As I said earlier, the, the hospitality involves seeing people through a new lens. It's seeing people deeply for who they are seeing them even as strangers, and, and it's seeing ourselves through the eyes of Jesus, that, that we are lost apart from him, but he sees us as his beloved, as his beloved sons and his beloved daughters. He sees us, and as we're seen, we then have the capability of seeing others with those eyes. How do we become hospitable people? How do we become people who share biblical hospitality? By embracing the gospel that Jesus came for us. That God in God's extravagant love sent Jesus. And in his grace 
and his mercy and his great love says, come to me, all of you who are burdened, who are weary, who are, are downtrodden, come, I see you. I see this woman. I don't see the sinner woman. I don't see what it was she did to get that label. I see a woman who's been extravagant to me today. I see her. How do we become hospitable? When we accept that, and then we can become the vehicles of this extravagant love to those around us. One caveat, however. And that's this. Too often we find ourselves sitting in the position of the elder brother. You know the story, the prodigal son, the prodigal brother, and the prodigal God. Prodigal just means radical. <laughs> we find ourselves sitting in the seat of the prodigal older brother, looking down on people that make poor choices. Maybe they make bad choices. Maybe they make just different choices from us. But we... How can we expect to extend biblical hospitality to strangers if we can't even extend it to each other? Well, they're too charismatic. Well, they're too traditional. Or they're too conservative. They're too liberal. They're too Baptist. They're too Catholic. They're too this. They're too that. We, we can't even do it well with each other. We need that transforming relationship with Jesus to begin to see people as Jesus sees them. And I want to end with this. I want to ask the question, how important is this idea of seeing people with a new lens, of extending biblical hospitality? How important is that to God? I'll tell you. I'll refer you to Matthew 25. And the story of the judgment seat of Jesus. At the judgment seat, he is king. He's no longer suffering servant. He's king. And it's the story of the sheeps and the goats and separating them. And it says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And of course, they're going, wait a second. We weren't even, you weren't even around when we did this. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I was. I was in John and Sally and Mary and David and Jim and Susan I was there, and you did it to me. So the question, xenophobia or filiozena? Xenophobia or filiozena? A fear of strangers, a fear of people who are different than us that look different? Or a love for the stranger? Your choice but a willingness to accept that we're strangers apart from Jesus. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, you welcome us. You welcome us as strangers, and you call us 
brothers and sisters. We are strangers and alienated from you. And you wash our feet. We are broken. And you mend us back together. We are in desperate need. And you offer yourself to us. Oh, Jesus, may we be reminded of that as we see the broken around us, as we see those that don't look like us, that don't think the same way as we do, who don't make the same choices that we do. May we see them through your eyes as you see us and embrace us through Christ. Amen.